I didn't realize that part of being able to stand up here and speak was to uh, uh, confess your failures in front of a bunch of guys. But hey, I guess that goes with the territory. And so, you know, I talked about golf and how golf didn't, you know, wasn't anything of an eternal nature. You know, had a pretty good Masters, eight guys uh, having a part of the lead on uh, Masters Sunday. Uh, that's pretty fun. Um, but after I got up here and talked all about how golf just wasn't that significant anymore, I went out and played golf the next day. You know, the Lord really does have a sense of humor. And uh, so... Um, you know, hit a couple of good shots, par five to start with, on in regulation, three putt. Okay, not that big of a deal. Next hole, pump three balls in the water, and I'm done. I am done. I am so furious with myself that I, I'm just done. Now, now, granted, this is the second 18-hole round I've played this year. Okay, and so, you know, most guys would go, oh, okay, hey, it's winter golf, a little rust. But I was done. I was seriously done. I was furious at myself the entire rest of the way. And so my goal for that round, I had pretty low expectations, was to break 100. Okay, I shot 89 and I was furious. And I'm going, when I'm done, um, what, what's wrong with this picture? Why are you such an idiot that this was a, a great time with three other great guys that I love to be with. And so why do I blow it just being mad at myself the entire way around? All over a little game of golf. I mean, it's stupid. I didn't do so good. So, um, uh, uh, what did I have on the back nine? Well, I actually, I went 44-45, okay? I shot 89. I mean, that's not a terrible score. And what I didn't tell you guys was that one day, in, back in my youth, uh, you know, I was a four handicap. That's as low as I ever was. I had one year, which I averaged 78 for a year. But see, I still think I'm 38, and now I'm going to be 60 this year. And I just don't hit the ball like I did. And, you know, if anything brought that home, it was yesterday or the day before, I guess, on Tuesday, when uh, our staff had a little staff half day of fun. And what did we do? We went out and we played kickball. Um, now, this wasn't your garden variety kickball. This was kind of combat kickball. Uh, and it was pretty competitive. And yesterday, most of the staff couldn't move. Um, you know, there were just muscles used that hadn't been used in a long time. Uh, and so, man, I am not 38 years old anymore. And uh, my wife would say, amen, thank goodness, okay? Uh, but, you know, um, sometimes, like on the golf course or in um, competing in sports, I want to be 38 again, but I'm not. And so, what am I going to do to live in light of eternity? How am I going to be uh, a man who values the eternal things? Well, that's one thing we're going to talk about uh, today in the context of Daniel 8. And, um, you know, we have in Daniel 8, uh, Daniel's second vision. And uh, what he does in response to this second vision is what I need to do in response to my failures. And we'll talk about that. I love how at the end of uh, uh, chapter 7 and at the end of chapter 8, Daniel includes a little phrase that we might just 
skip over in our reading, but it captures a truth about his faithfulness and also about how we're to live today, and we'll talk about that a little bit. And, you know, it uh, says at the end of Daniel 8 that it just literally wiped him out, uh, that he was sick and kept him in bed like uh, our buddy Corey Cheek uh, today is uh, not here. Um, you know, and you know, he runs our welcome center and uh, our team of volunteers. And when those kind of guys are missing, you note you notice that. Uh, but what Daniel did was a model for us as well, because it says that he got up and he went about the king's business, and that's what we're called to do. And you know, as I was driving over here this morning, I was thinking, hey. God's sovereignty, which is a theme throughout the book of Daniel, and we see that particularly in Daniel 8, uh, that is the characteristic of God that I want to relate to in tough times. Uh, I went to a a small college called Virginia Military Institute, and it is kind of not your typical college experience. The first year is called your rat year. And, you know, it's called rats because there's no lower form of life than a rat. And uh, it's one that uh, is pretty much unlike, I guarantee you, just about anybody else's freshman college year. Um, And so that year, I was rightly related to the sovereignty of God because my prayer was just, Lord, help me make it through this day. And to know that he was sovereignty in times of adversity was something that kept me going. And so God's sovereignty in times of adversity, and we're going to read about some times of adversity today, is the sort of thing that keeps us going. So let me stop preaching and uh, let's dive into the text. Let me pray first. Lord, thanks for the privilege of coming together as a group of men to read about uh, your sovereign hand in the midst of history. Thank you for Daniel's example to us, Father. Uh, He was a man who did live in light of eternity and who was rightly related to your sovereignty. And so, Father, may his picture of faithfulness, faithfulness in the little things and in the big things, be a motivation to us today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's jump to the outline. So in uh, verses 1 through 4, we have the ram revealed, and we'll talk about the ram. In 5 through 8, we've got the great goat. 9 through 14, the hateful horn. And then in uh, 15 through 22, we have Gabriel's gloss. So the angel Gabriel explains to Daniel what's going on with this vision that he's having. And then in uh, verses 23 to 26, we have the king of the bold face is literally what the Hebrew says. The king of the b- bold face uh, is allowed for a period of time to prevail against the saints, but ultimately he's broken. And when he's broken, it's not by human hands. And then finally, in uh, verse 27, what I've uh, mentioned already, Daniel says that I rose and went about the king's business. And we have Daniel's diligence. Okay, so let's talk about some issues. The context is always, let's start right there. Okay, so uh, in verse 1 it tells us that we're in the third year of Belshazzar's reign, which is approximately 551 B.C., and puts us uh, right after chapter 7 and before the events of chapter 5. 
And, you know, one of the significant things about uh, Daniel 8 is that um, uh, we switch back to Hebrew. Remember, uh, chapter 1 was written in Hebrew, and then chapter 2 that's dealing with the times of the Gentiles is written in Aramaic, which was the language of the Babylonians. Okay? And then in chapter 8, we switch back to Hebrew. And it's significant because it reminds us that Daniel is writing about and God is dealing with uh, history as it relates to the nation of Israel. Okay? And so that uh, change to Hebrew is a little reminder of that. And just as Daniel 7 gives an overview of the times of the Gentile, Daniel 8 concerns what comes next, specifically as it pertains to the nation of Israel. Okay, Susa. You know, that uh, statement in there about Susa in verse 2 or 3 might be something we would ordinarily just skip over. But when Daniel's writing this, Susa was not the capital of Persia. And his statement that uh, he went to Susa, the capital of Persia, is something that's significant and is a prophetic utterance that is fulfilled in history. Okay? And Susa is important for a couple other things. It's mentioned in other places in the Bible. Uh, it's the place where Esther um, lived. So in Esther 1-2, you see the uh, um, city of Susa mentioned. And also it's the place where Nehemiah came from when he returned to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. Okay, So you can read about that in Nehemiah 1-1. He comes from uh, the capital of Persia where he was being uh, held in captivity and uh, returns to Jerusalem. Okay, so let's dive into the heart of uh, the uh, chapter. We have uh, a picture, a vision that includes um, at least four significant players. Worsby does it as five, including Daniel as the fifth guy. Okay, and so the ram, the ram, uh, Gabriel tells us, the angel Gabriel tells us in verse 20, represents the Medo-Persian Empire. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. It had two horns, and one was higher than the other. And that reminds us of the bear uh, in chapter 7 that had one side raised up, that again represented uh, the Medo-Persian Empire. And uh, the, the higher horn represents Persia that came on the scene later and was more dominant in influence. We learn about this ram that no beast could stand before the ram. No other kingdom could. No one could rescue uh, someone from the power of the ram. And that he did it as he pleased and became great. Then we have a male goat that comes on the scene. And we were talking yesterday in our staff guys study about Daniel 8. And uh, the prevailing question was, why a goat? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, you know, a, a, a goat doesn't represent uh, a fearsome animal like a leopard uh, would. Um, leopard was the picture in Daniel 7. The goat is the picture in Daniel 8. And I guess uh, we city boys just don't understand the power of a goat. Uh, but this goat was amazingly powerful and it had a conspicuous horn right between its eyes that horn represented Alexander the Great 
and it came from the west, which of course Greece is west of uh, where all the action was happening uh, at this time. And it says that the text says that it came without touching the ground, underscoring the speed of the conquest. And uh, did you note that the goat was enraged against the ram? And, you know, think back to the movie 300, the Battle of Thermopylae, the Spartans standing against the Persian hordes. And you can think about the Battle of Marathon or the Battle of Salamis. These are great battles in ancient history that uh, uh, occurred in the course of Persia's attacks against Greece. And so, yes... The goat was pissed off at uh, the ram and took it out on the ram when the time came. And by Alexander's time, the ram could not stand before the goat and no one could rescue the ram from the power of the goat. And you know, it says in verse 4 that the ram was great, but what does it say about the goat? It says the goat became exceedingly great. And uh, the goat's empire stretched from Africa over almost as far as India. Most of the civilized world was conquered by Alexander literally within the course of about uh, 10 or 11 years. But at the height of the uh, uh, goat's power, uh, Alexander died. And we see that uh, fulfilled... um, We see the prediction of that fulfilled in how Alexander did die, and then his kingdom ultimately is divided among his four generals. And remember the picture in Daniel 7 was of the leopard with four heads. We see that fulfilled in the way uh, it played out. And, you know, what's interesting to me is that God's sovereignty was at work even within um, the context of Alexander's army. Okay, so when... These kingdoms would conquer people. They would um, force the conquered peoples to fight in the armies of Greece. Okay, And so we had all these different nationalities composing this massive army of Greece. And these guys had to be able to communicate in a way. And it caused Alexander to uh, create a language, a common language. And that language is known as Koine Greek. And uh, uh, you uh, Bible scholars out there will know that Koine Greek is the language of the New Testament. And so God uses Alexander to create a language that was literally spread throughout the world and to prepare it to be used to ensure the uh, spread of the gospel and ensure that the New Testament was written in a language that people throughout the world would understand quickly. And you can see how the sovereignty of God is using these events to prepare the time for the coming of Christ. All right. And then out of one of these four kingdoms, we have a little horn um, grow up, and it becomes exceedingly great. And so one of the four generals of Alexander was a, a guy named Seleucus. And scholars are agreed that this little horn refers to Antiochus Epiphanes. He was the eighth ruler in the uh, Seleucid dynasty. Okay, and, and even though he only ruled for 11 years, his cruelty in the things that he does are not only a fulfillment of Daniel's uh, history in Daniel 8, uh, or his prophecy, but they're also a, a foreshadowing, a type of the uh, coming world, one world ruler, the Antichrist. 
And Antiochus, in order to unify his empire, uh, tried to force all of his subjects, including the Jews, to adopt Greek cultural and religious practices. And he ended the uh, Jewish practices of burnt offerings and uh, um, really did the ultimate in-your-face to the Jews by going into the temple and sacrificing a pig on the altar and uh, creating a statue to Zeus or an altar to Zeus in the Holy of Holies. It was really the ultimate in your face. We're going to read more about and hear more about Antiochus in Daniel 11 that uh, Blake will be talking about in a couple of weeks. Okay, so you can look at Daniel 11.31 to read more about what Antiochus did. And uh, then Christ will even reference this in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse when he's talking about the Great Tribulation and what the Antichrist will do during that time frame. And um, you can uh, look at... Uh, Wiersbe on page 124 does a great job of comparing the characteristics of the um, little horn of Daniel 8, the uh, uh, horn that was character that uh, was fulfilled by Antiochus versus the coming one world ruler, the Antichrist. And you can see how the characteristics match up and how uh, the little horn of Daniel. Uh, Eight is a foreshadowing of the little horn of Daniel 7 and how the two had many similar characteristics. Check that out at Wearsby at one, uh, page 124. Okay, and so the final guy to come on the scene is the Antichrist. Uh, he's described in Daniel 8 as the king of the bold face. And uh, he's covered in verses 23 to 26. And you can read about his characteristics, but the one that stands out to me is that uh, it says that he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but not by human hand. And for the rest of that story, go read Revelation 19, verses 19 through 21, and you'll see what ultimately happens uh, to the king of the bold face. And so, you know, this is our hope, that God, the God that we worship, puts us on the right side of history. And that we don't have to worry ultimately about the king of the bold face. Because there is one who will subdue the king of the bold face. We've read the book. And we know how this story comes out. And it should give us both hope and also motivation to tell others. So what do we take away from this chapter? Let's look at some applications. Okay. You know, even in the midst of captivity, God cares about His people. God cares about His people Israel. I don't know what's going on in your life, uh, but it's, you know, not captivity since I see you here, but it may be captivity to things or captivity to um, different um, evils in your life. It may be captivity to your job. It may be captivity to good things, but that you're elevating over the eternal things. And so God cares about what's happening in our lives right where we are. And, you know, man, the second point is a great one. God is sovereign over history. And He's even sovereign over those who rebel against Him and those who would destroy His people. And so he's sovereign over that boss that's plaguing you. He's sovereign over that neighbor you can't get along with. And that gives us motivation to be respectful, 
but fearless in the face of that. Um, yesterday in the staff guy's study, Blake said it uh, better than I did. He said, we don't have to fear evil. We don't have to fear evil because God is sovereign. And He is one, and history will play out as He has predicted uh, here in Daniel 8. And the last two are ones that you've heard me mention just about every time I've been up here. And Daniel is such a great picture of these last two, that he was faithful in the little things. And being faithful in the little things, the things of being in the Word and knowing the Word, and knowing it in such a way that you can apply it to the questions of life, that prepared him for the final point, to be faithful or be prepared for the big things. When those big challenges come along, by being diligent in the little things, you're ready for the big things. So, we've talked about Persians at the gate three weeks ago, and we talked about lions in your life a couple of weeks ago, and then last week we turned talked about living in the light of eternity. And so, you know, Daniel 8 makes me wonder, what will we do if our government one day says that, hey, you Christians, you guys are intolerant, and you're narrow-minded, and you're bigoted, and uh, can't do that anymore. And what are we going to do if one day we are required not to speak of our God? Can't happen here, can it? Well, don't think so. Because it can happen here. It happened in Israel in Daniel 8. And it happened in Germany in World War II. And you know, even today it's happening all over the Middle East where people, by professing uh, a belief in Christ, are putting their lives in danger. Uh, Eric Metaxas, who was here for the Do the Right Thing conference uh, that Chuck Colson uh, had here, has written a compelling biography about the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I don't know if you guys know Bonhoeffer, but he was a German pastor and theologian who gave his life in an effort to remove Hitler from power. And man, would that be a horrible thing to have to do, to think about um, turning against your country and thinking it has become so evil that we need to remove from power the leader. That is a horrible thing to contemplate. But, you know, he was not a guy who just, as a pastor, um, sat idly by studying his scriptures and doing nothing and praying that God would come do something. But he was a man of action. And uh, uh, last Saturday, April 9th, marked the 60th anniversary of his execution. He was killed by the Nazis literally uh, two weeks before uh, World War II was over in Europe. And so it's a great book. And I strongly recommend that uh, you put it on your reading list because it's a great read about what your faith can cost you if you really are uh, faithful uh, to follow the God that uh, uh, we love. And I've got a great quote from him. Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Bonhoeffer was a man of action. He was a man who put his theology into practice. And he said, action springs not from thought, but from a 
from a readiness for responsibility. A readiness for responsibility. Are we ready for responsibility? God has entrusted to us His Word and motivated us to action. And that's what Bonhoeffer did. He put God's Word into action by taking action. And you know, God doesn't care about my golf score, but He does care about how I reflect His character in adversity. And He does care about whether I draw uh, others to His Son or repel them uh, from Him by my conduct. And He does care about my willingness to trust Him uh, even in tough times. And so, you know, Daniel got up and he went about the king's business even after this horrible vision that made him literally sick. He got up, he says, I rose up and I went about the king's business. And his diligence is a model to us today, guys. Are we willing to get up today and go about the king's business? We serve the king of kings. And so are you ready to be diligent in doing the business of the king of kings in your own life, in your own neighborhood, in your own family, in your own workplace? And will you do it with the same sort of faithfulness that Daniel showed? Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, thanks for the example that Daniel gives us as a man prepared to be used by you in a mighty way. Lord, may this auditorium be filled with Daniels who are willing to uh, stand on your truth, even if it costs uh, costs us our lives. And Father, we take comfort in your sovereignty and it gives us hope. In the midst of uh, tough times, in the midst of good times, Father, uh, may we be men who live in the light of eternity, who are on the right side of your sovereignty and align our wills with yours throughout uh, um, each day. Lord, we can uh, change this uh, city, this country, and most of all, change ourselves by lining up with your sovereignty. So thanks for this time, Father. Your son's name, Amen. Okay, guys, we've got some donuts waiting for us. Sweeten you guys up. Um, one thing for next week. Uh, next week we're going to be doing Daniel nine and ten, and the last week we'll be doing Daniel eleven and twelve. Okay, so nine and ten for next week, and Blake will be up here to uh, uh, explain all that. Y'all have a great day.